Welcome to Click, Treat, Repeat. This is a horse-focused podcast discussing positive reinforcement training, equine management and welfare, and other horse-related topics. So let's get started. Welcome to Click, Treat, Repeat. This is a horse-focused podcast discussing positive reinforcement training, equine management and welfare, and other horse-related topics. So let's get started. Yeah, it's kind of hard to keep it super clean cut into the quadrants when you do know more because it's all kind of gray. I think of it more like a figure eight, but again, we're not trying to go there in this episode. So I guess we could leave that at that. <laughs> yeah, I think we can cover that more in depth later. Um, should we bring up like Lima and the humane hierarchy or do you think that should be a different episode? We could do that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that would be a good thing to bring up here. So, I mean, when we talk about Lima, what we're kind of talking about is kind of, it's it's sort of a framework of least intrusive to most intrusive ways of changing behavior. So, yeah, basically it means like least intrusive, minimally aversive. That's the kind of acronym L-I-M-A, Lima. Um, so, I think... It typically just goes that the the least intrusive way of changing behavior is going to be like wellness, nutritional, physical, going ahead and making sure that like the basic needs are being met and that, um, you know, all of those things are taken care of and that there isn't a way that you can meet their needs in a slightly different way to help change the behavior rather than having to go to a more intrusive way of changing behavior. And then the next kind of slightly more intrusive, but still pretty um, low intrusive level would be antecedent arrangements. So changing how you have the environment set up and stuff like that so that you can encourage the desired behavior to occur or not occur or whatever the goal is there. Then after that is positive reinforcement, which we've basically covered, um, and then differential reinforcement of alternative behaviors. And then we get into extinction, negative reinforcement, negative punishment. And then the most intrusive is positive punishment. So the idea is like not that this is something extremely strict or something that like, oh my gosh, you can only deal with antecedent arrangements and making sure their basic like wellness needs are met. If you go beyond that, you're just terrible. It's not trying to say that. It's just saying like when we need to change behavior, we want to think about how we can do that in a way that's going to be least intrusive and least harmful to the animal and allow them to still maintain autonomy and be able to um, behave in ways that they choose. So we want to make sure that when we are changing behavior, we're doing it in the, yeah, basically least intrusive way we can. So definitely sometimes you do have to get towards, you know, some of those, those lower, less or more intrusive levels, but it's just kind of being aware of like, we should probably try to do it in a less intrusive way first. And I know that a lot of professionals recommend if you do have to get to steps like, you know, extinction, negative reinforcement, negative punishment, positive punishment, you should probably be consulting with professionals and you should probably be like making sure that that truly is necessary and truly is the most ethical way to proceed. Um, especially even professional trainers should be consulting with another trainer if they're going to be using those types of techniques in their training, just because, yeah, you want to basically have um, help from other colleagues and have supervision in the process to make sure that you're not doing something unethical that you don't need to be doing. So 
yeah I mean I don't know if that's too much into it but basically just I think that's the idea yeah and again there there can be certain situations in which this isn't going to be such a clear-cut hierarchy like there may be situations in which even negative reinforcement in certain ways might be less intrusive than say like differential reinforcement of alternative behaviors I mean that's going to be very rare typically this is a good hierarchy but uh, it's also more of a guide than like a really strict hierarchy so yeah I don't know anything else you want to um, talk about with it I guess in my experience and not so much with like fun behaviors like riding and things like that but with behavior modification a lot of the time if you look at the wellness and change the environment you will see a lot of improvement so that's kind of why those are first because we're not messing with the animal at all mentally or emotionally they're gonna do oh there's my dog <laughs> they're gonna do everything they normally would but we're just gonna change the environment and make sure they're healthy so that we can make sure whatever behavior we don't want happening isn't happening because they're sick or don't feel well. Yeah, exactly. I think that makes sense. And I think it's definitely important to address those things first. I mean, both from an effectiveness and an ethical standpoint, like we don't want to be covering up them communicating that their basic needs aren't being met with other ways of changing behavior. And then also it's going to be very difficult to change behavior in those more intrusive ways if you haven't um, been able to, I guess, address the basic needs. So yeah, I mean, I think we've definitely talked a lot before about how if the basic needs aren't met, it's going to be really tough to see behavior change. And I think that that's something I've seen a lot with Charlie, like, as he's had ulcers and things like that that's been stuff that we really needed to take care of before we were going to see a big behavioral change um, in terms of like him just having basically high levels of anxiety, like not really wanting to come out of the pasture, not really wanting to um, basically engage with the environment or engage with people or anything like that, just because he was not feeling well. Um, yeah. So addressing those things first is definitely the most ethical way that we can make sure our animals are feeling good. And then also, it's going to help us actually see those changes in behavior that we're looking for. So I definitely agree. Yeah, that's like, it's both like probably one of the most powerful ways of changing behavior is just making sure that all of the needs are met. And then it's also um, just something important that as people that care about our animals, we should really value. Um, yeah, so I definitely agree. Yeah, I feel like management is really underrated too. Like I use a lot of management and it's very helpful because I mean, animals aren't bred. I mean, they are bred for us technically, I guess, but they're not here to live in the human world. They're here to just be horses. So they do things we don't like and that's just the reality. So if we can use management to get them to not perform those behaviors, then those behaviors won't be reinforced and they'll eventually be less likely to happen. Yeah, I think that makes total sense. I guess like, yeah, I mean, I think there's been a lot of discussion about behaviors that are related to wellness and like poor management, I guess, like with stereotypic behaviors and stuff like that. It's been pretty well studied and well documented that stereotypic behaviors really only occur in domestic environments and don't occur with feral horses and typically aren't going to occur very often in horses that have have had constant continuous access to like a, a 
appropriate enriched environment, like you're not really going to see those behaviors come up. There may be a genetic component as well, but it's pretty much triggered by the environment is what it seems to be according to the research. So yeah, I mean, stuff like that, like going to changing the, the management situation is going to be way more important than trying to do that through training. And there has been some really interesting training going on recently, like we talked about in a recent episode with that basically cribbing, I, I don't I don't know what to call it, I guess, like case study with the horse that was cribbing and they were attempting to basically use training. I don't remember honestly much about it. I know you you saw it more recently than I did. So I feel like, yeah, I mean, training can be a tool there, but you probably want to go to the management stuff first and make sure that that horse is like going to have access to an enriched environment, like a pasture turnout, access to friends, um, stuff like that, making sure that they have stuff that's going to keep them mentally busy. And once, I mean, once the stereotypic behavior has been practiced and it's become a habit, it's going to be harder to stop. But I think prevention too is really important by making sure that wellness is met, we don't have to so much worry about those behaviors if they're never going to come up, if they're, you know, managed properly. And I know it's like, it's more complex. We live in the human world where like, it's not always possible to give your horse full access to um, like a great pasture. So like, I understand sometimes it's out of our control, but as much as we can prevent it, I think it's really important. Yeah, I don't know if I have much else about Lima. I don't know if there's anything else you want to talk about quick or if you just want to leave it at that. But <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's always more. We can go into more complex stuff um, with, with all of this stuff as well. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of different things we could talk about. I mean, I feel like we did cover the basics. Is there anything else like just with the basics in general of like operant conditioning or anything that you want to cover? you want to try to maybe simply explain <laughs> what extinction and differential reinforcement of alternative behaviors is? Sure. That's you do, do you want me to do it? I can take extinction. Sounds good. <laughs> so extinction usually happens with negative punishment where you're removing something they want to decrease behavior. Or if you're just not reinforcing enough, it can happen, which like kind of, they overlap. But yeah, so that's basically like I think, I don't remember who said it, but someone, I watched a webinar they did about extinction. They had an example of like, when you click on your internet browser and it doesn't open, so then you start clicking on it more and then you click on it faster and then eventually you just stop and give up. That's kind of what extinction is. So they're going to try and then they're not going to get rewarded or anything. They're not going to receive feedback. They're going to try again. And then eventually they're just going to keep getting louder until they stop and they don't offer it anymore. Yeah, that's a great explanation of it. And I think it's good to cover that one first because it's like, it's slightly an element I feel like of um, of differential reinforcement, uh, but there's just another element to it. So you're basically like, you're withholding reinforcement of the behavior that you don't wanna see. So in that case, that can sort of be extinction, but then you're also reinforcing the appropriate behavior. So it's more, it's, I guess, giving them a little bit more guidance of like, here's how you can actually get your reinforcement for the appropriate behavior while we're not reinforcing you for the inappropriate behavior rather than with extinction, just not reinforcing for the inappropriate behavior and then just letting them kind of go through that frustration. So, I mean, I think that's the basic overview I would give of um, differential reinforcement, just 
basically reinforcing the desired behavior instead while not reinforcing the undesired behavior. I don't know. We could also get way more into that as well, but just of the basics. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I do have one example with that that I'm sure a lot of people have dealt with, which would be like, I mean, a lot of us try to teach a default neutral, but sometimes you end up reinforcing the horse turning their head away. So if that happens, you could maybe instead offer a target where you want their nose and then reward that instead of the turning away. And that kind of avoids the frustration that comes with extinction, but you still get the behavior you want. I mean, I think sometimes like when I'm working on stimulus control, this ends up sort of being something that that happens even unintentionally. If like the cone is out, say I'm working on stimulus control with the cone and then My goal is to not even have to basically not reinforce the cone touching behavior when it's not cued. My goal is for them to not even touch the cone at all. But if, you know, I'm holding the target out and they touch the cone, nothing happens, then they touch the target and then they get reinforced. That can also be an example of it. You're basically not reinforcing the cone behavior because it wasn't cued. That's not the desired behavior. And then I am reinforcing the touching the target instead behavior since that's the behavior that I'm looking for. So I think that that's, you know, anytime you're sort of like trying, I mean, I guess another thing I've been doing with Rupert is he has night anxiety, obviously, or what I what I have thought is night anxiety, although I'm not fully sure on the function of it or what is exactly is going on. But I've been trying to work with him on like having alternative behaviors he can do instead of barking. So it's kind of just making sure that like, when we're trying to stop another behavior and we're not, we're trying not to reinforce that behavior, we want to have, you know, something else for them to do so that they can be reinforced for that. So I've been trying to do a little bit of like control unleashed stuff with him. One thing that we've been doing that's not like directly control unleashed, but it seems it's like related to some of the games, I think is like, he will come over and and sit down by me and then I I throw one of his treats like across the room he goes gets his treat does whatever he's going to do and then he comes back and sits with me again so it's sort of a pattern that we just keep doing um, and then that keeps him having something to do so he's like going and getting his treat and then coming back and sitting and doing that behavior and then we've slowly been trying to increase the duration of the sit just a little bit before I throw the treat because ideally I don't want to have to always like (laughs) be constantly throwing treats for him um but we'll do that for maybe like 15 minutes or so and we use his his part of his dinner as it so it's not giving him like a crap ton of treats um and yeah so he has kind of like something else he can do but it's also hard to like not reinforce the barking behavior because like I'm not sure what is reinforcing the barking behavior since again I don't really know the function of the the behavior so it just gets complex but yeah I hope you enjoyed this episode of Click Treat Repeat. Feel free to check us out on Instagram at Click Treat Repeat Pod. You can find Jen at Genuine Equine and myself at Bonafide.bt. We upload new episodes every Monday and hope to see you then. Happy training!